Well, Father, we pray today that that would be an understanding in our hearts. That, God, we are loved by you and that as we dig into your uh, your word today, that you would reveal more of that truth, that we would understand that the love you have for us uh, is, is, is boundless, it's endless, it's something we can't compare to or understand at times, it's something we oftentimes can't comprehend the depth and the width, and I think of scripture, how wide, how high, how deep is the love the Father has for us, and so Lord, may we just begin to sit under that and and soak it in and understand your goodness and your love for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can have a seat as you do. Uh, Grab your Bibles. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 19. We've been doing the the New Testament in 90 uh, time frame, and we're going through the New Testament over a 90-day period. Um, Logan hit this one too. There's two up there. All right, New Testament 90 days. If you've been reading along, you would know that, that as we've gone through this, we've run into certain texts and certain scriptures that we've kind of reiterated. As a matter of fact, on some days you're going to read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or maybe you read Mark and Luke where you're reading a similar story in different gospel versions. And I want you to understand and, and I believe see the importance of what it means to read through scripture on a consistent basis as well as read it in, in light or in a way chronologically where we unpack more of Scripture. I want to I just ask you this question. You don't have to answer, but I would venture to say in your heart you would know it. How many of you have read, again, you don't have to raise your hand or anything, how many of you have read the New Testament over a 90-day period before? And as you think about it, I want you to think about the reality of what God did in that. If you haven't read it, what we're trying to do is encourage you to do that. So we gave you the reading plan, and we gave you a, a, a principle, a diagram to go along with using what we call the HEAR principle. So it's highlight the main point of the text, explain, in other words, ask questions, and look for deeper meaning. What's the meaning? What's the original context and things like that? Then apply it to my life, and then R is respond. So highlight, explain, apply, respond. The HEAR method of doing that, and we don't get that. It's not something we created. Matter of fact, I got it from a, a pastor out in Tennessee named Robbie Gallaty, who has a, a website called Replicate. It's all about making disciples, um, and I think it's one of those things that I would encourage you as you read Scripture to begin to do that. So if you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1, most of us will know this text. As a matter of fact, it's a fairly popular, fairly common text about Zacchaeus. We have our own Zacchaeus in the house. I'm not going to call names, but Mike Moses. I mean, I mean, never mind. Sorry, Mike. I didn't mean to throw you out there. <laughs> but I want you to think about this Zacchaeus. Uh, and listen to what he says, starting in verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. I want you to keep that in mind, a chief tax collector. In other words, he had people under him. He had people who were tax collectors who paid him to get in on the tax collecting gig. It's kind of the pyramid scheme, whether you're talking Amway or something else like that. Like, like Zacchaeus was, would be like a, maybe a regional director you know, in Amway or something like that. Maybe you're into those things, Team National. Verse 3, it says, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not. Although short people understand what it means to be in a crowd and not be able to see somebody, right? But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead. He climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. And when Jesus reached the spot, 
He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Matter of fact, if you like to highlight or underline your Bible, I would tell you to underline that point, welcomed him gladly. Verse seven, all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be a guest or the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up. In other words, he took a stand and he said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save that which was lost or what was lost. So Jesus has a purpose in coming and in his ministry that he accomplished and he was pointing to this purpose, which is this sacrifice. To give you an idea and an understanding in the context of what's going on, Jesus over the last couple of chapters in Luke has healed the blind beggar. He has healed a, a, a person who was deaf. He has uh, healed 10 with leprosy. He dealt with or gave the parable of the persistent widow. He has told the truth to the people to say, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind is that we want to reach children. We want to reach teenagers. And at the same time, we cannot throw things into their way that are going to hinder them or stop them from coming because it is with childlike faith that a person comes to know Jesus. And then we jump in to Zacchaeus. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, you read the end of chapter 18, we have the triumphal entry. So he's on the way to Jerusalem. Jericho's on the outskirts. It's out and away from Jerusalem, but it's on the way to Jerusalem. And Jesus is going along. And as he goes along, he comes to this border town in Jericho. And as he comes to this border town in Cherigo, he runs into this man, or he has an encounter with this man named Zacchaeus, who's not just any tax collector, but the chief tax collector. Which means, as Luke likes to so often point out, Zacchaeus is loaded. He's got the Benjamins coming out of the wallet like crazy. In other words, he's got a lot of money, and he's probably just throwing it around a little bit here and there because he has access to a lot of funds. And so there's an encounter here that oftentimes takes place. There's this encounter between Jesus and this outcast. And here's the reason why he's an outcast. Number one, he was Jewish. But the religious Jewish zealots and things like that would not accept him. He was an outcast. Likewise, those who maybe weren't religious didn't accept him because he had these relationships that he had to build with the Roman people. And the Roman people were sitting in control, sitting in authority, and he's collecting taxes from the Jewish people to pay the Roman people. But at the same time, he's taking a cut. And you and I know that we don't like people who take cuts or takes advantages of the people that are around us, right? Like if I have somebody who's taken advantage of me, to pad their pockets, me and him are going to go toe-to-toe. I want you to think about it that way. Like, I'm not going to respect this guy. I'm not going to have a high outlook on this man. And likewise, Zacchaeus is seen in that form or in that fashion amongst the people that are in Jericho. They would have known him. Matter of fact, Zacchaeus may or may not have lived in Jericho, could have lived right outside, but he was obviously over a regional area. He had tax collectors who reported to him, tax collectors who paid him, and he takes a cut from everything under the sun. But I want you to understand what all takes place here in this text, because oftentimes we can go back to the old Sunday school thing, right? Like Zacchaeus was a... 
wee little man and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? You, you understand what I'm talking about. That's oftentimes what ends up playing out, but there's a lot more in this than just, hey, Jesus accepted a tax collector. Jesus does what everybody else says he shouldn't. Jesus breaks a mold that everybody else thinks should be left in place. And so I want you to see today, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this. It's very simple. It's right directly from verse 10. The main point is this, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek and save the outcasts. And so I want us to see, there's going to be some things we're going to look at today. I want you to see this. Number one, that Jesus divinely meets Zacchaeus where he was. Here's how God works. And here's what we have to begin to understand. That God meets us where we are. Like God is chasing after us. God is pursuing us. God is longing for that relationship. He's done the work through sending Jesus to die on the cross. He's in pursuit of every individual where you're at, whether at work, whether dealing with addictions, whether dealing with broken marriages, whether dealing with children, whether dealing with problems, whatever you're at, wherever you're gone, wherever you've been, no matter what you've done, Jesus wants to meet you where he's at. And that's exactly what he does in this. But I want you to see this as well. Jesus is still working in the direction toward what he's originally called to do in the first place, right? Like Jesus is heading to Jerusalem, getting ready to be crucified, but yet at the same time runs into this divine moment where he meets Zacchaeus on the road. And I can almost kind of picture this maybe on the road heading out of Jericho now. Why? Because Zacchaeus ran ahead. He tried to get past the crowd. Anybody go to the Royals Parade or Chiefs Parade? Okay. Everybody wanted to get close. I learned my lesson at the Royals Parade. I was like, we're going to the very end at the stage because we want to see everybody. We showed up and we're like, oh my gosh. Like we were a third of the way back up the hill toward Liberty Memorial, but we still seemed like we were a mile away. And so when we came to the Chiefs Parade, Pat, Neil, and, and Joe were like, hey, yeah, let's go. We'll go together. I was like, all right, we're going to the very start. They're like, what? I'm like, we're going to the very start. We'll actually get to see people. And we did. We got out there probably an hour and a half, two hours before the parade started. We got right, I mean, literally at the start, giving everybody high fives, which I could have cared less about. Yeah. <laughs> and Pat and Joe were like, oh, this is so cool right? But this is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was like me at the Royals parade, right? Like Zacchaeus is like, I can't see anybody. I can't see anything. And I had kids and I'm picking them up on my shoulder. Dad, I can't see. I'm like, I know there's nothing we could do. There's like 800,000 people down here at this point. We ain't going anywhere, you know? But Zacchaeus beelines for somewhere else. So I want you to understand what all takes place in this story. Everything about the story seems impossible. And I'm going to draw our attention back later in Luke chapter 18. But I want you to see this, that Zacchaeus is a short man. We see that. He says there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector. We've already talked about that. And he was wealthy, right? So he's got two strikes against him. 
Because wealthy people were often on the outskirts because they didn't have the connections with the everyday ordinary person. Now, they were connected with the political leaders and things like that. But at the same time, he's a tax collector and he was wealthy. And it says this, he just wanted to see who Jesus was. But being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So listen, he can't see past them because not only are they too large or thick of a crowd, he can't see over them because he's too short. So he knew the route. And keep in mind about this. He would know the route from Jericho to Jerusalem. And so he knows where Jesus is heading towards. And he says, I'm going to get ahead and I'm going to climb up into this tree and I'm going to see. And so he knew the route and he ran ahead to catch a glimpse. And listen to what it says in verse four. It says he ran ahead. In other words, there's this idea of a pursuit that Zacchaeus is after to try and find out who this Jesus really was. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wants a personal connection with Jesus. And I believe wholeheartedly here in today's world, that's exactly what people are looking for. They want to know who Jesus was. And oftentimes we might possibly find ourselves in the crowd blocking people from seeing. And it may not be by intention, or it may be by intention, but I want you to see what ends up happening is that Jesus takes those who are lowly, those who are outcasts, those who have been neglected or rejected by society, and Jesus says, you are of value and you are of importance to me. And therefore, listen, I'm going to do whatever it takes to meet you in a divinely appointed moment. And that's exactly what happens. We have to understand, it may seem crazy that some rich, influential man runs ahead of a bunch of people to climb up in a tree and to get to Jesus. Because let's think about it. Like, let's go back to the parades. Those who were rich and those who were influential in Kansas City probably had the premier spots. Matter of fact, I can guarantee you they had the premier spots. If you were connected to one of the players, you had the premier spot. And so here it is, Zacchaeus, he's loaded, he's wealthy. Jesus is coming into town. And you would think he would be like, bro, I'm just going to throw out some money. I'm going to dish it out. I'm going to see Jesus. No, he runs ahead to get to a point where he could see and not bother the rest of the crowd. And so listen, all throughout Luke, all throughout the gospel of Luke, Jesus sides with those who are outcast and rejected those not accounted as much in the eyes of the world. Luke chapter seven, verse 34 says this, Jesus is the friend, this is a quote, that he is the friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then I wanna understand just a little bit about what's going on. He climbs up into the sycamore fig tree. Some have said it could be a sycamore or mulberry tree, but it's a short tree that had a thick stump and large low hanging branches. Right? This is not an oak tree that we're used to in Missouri. Right? It may be one of those maple trees that get really short and squatty, but really wide and got really thick branches. Now, maple's not a good example because it's a soft wood. You get anybody of any size on a maple branch, what happens? Bows down. But he jumps into this fig tree, the sycamore or mulberry tree, and he wants to see Jesus. And Zacchaeus could not see because of the crowd. And likewise, many people may miss or not see Jesus because of the crowd. But Zacchaeus goes to the full extent to see Jesus. He runs ahead. And I want you to see this. Number two, that Jesus called Zacchaeus by name and met with him. 
Here's what's crazy. Listen to verse five. When he reached the spot, what spot? Where he was. Exactly. <laughs> wherever he was, right? People are like, what spot? What is he talking about? It's wherever Zacchaeus was. When he reached the point where Zacchaeus was, he looks up. And here's what ends up happening. Here's what we have to begin to see, that Jesus is in pursuit consistently of those who are lost. And Jesus is looking for them where they're at, right? Where they are. And so Jesus is pursuing, Jesus is running, Jesus is longing for these individuals, Jesus knows them, he's going after them, and he's going to meet them where they're at, which oftentimes can be the uncomfortable idea for those who are religious or those who are in some way, shape, or form who would say, you know, I'm not really comfortable with hanging out with those types of people or being where they're at. And while I understand that, I also say this, if we're not willing to take light into darkness, what is going to happen to light? We just talked about that a couple weeks ago in a sermon, right? Hide it under a what? No. And so Jesus comes to this point where he calls Zacchaeus by name and meets with him. Listen to what he says. It says, when he reached the spot, he looked up. Who knows how far, how far up? I can't think it'd be very high because here's what happens. It says, Zacchaeus come down immediately. Now, all I can think about is if I'm in a tree and Jesus, one of the most important influential figures in that cultural time context, as well as in the world now today, if Jesus looks up, looks at me and says, Brian, come down out of the tree. I'm going to your house. Do you think I'm going to go back down and climb down the stump? Now, like me, in my house, like sometimes we have, our, we have this low-hanging maple tree up in our front yard, and I throw our dog dummy to our dog, and sometimes it'll get stuck up there, and I climb up in the tree, and I get the stupid thing out of the tree, and I get down to one of the lower-hanging branches, and I hang from it, and then I jump, hit the ground. And all I can see is Zacchaeus hanging from the tree, short little stubby man, dropping and going, Jesus just called me by name. He's just called me by name. I ran ahead to see him, and guess what? I am important. Jesus makes eye contact. Think about this, right? Like, I've had people say, I felt like you were preaching me. You were always looking at me. Trust me, I look at everybody, right? Like, I'm not looking at one person and going, like, it's on you. But Jesus walks down the street, looks up at Zacchaeus, and is like, now what's Zacchaeus going? Uh Uh-oh. Oh, he's looking at me. Oh, my gosh. He's looking at me. And then he calls him by name. Now, the first thought would be, oh, no. What'd I do? Right? I'd be like, like if Jesus walks in and I'm up in a tree and he goes, Brian Grout, I'd be like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, I, I must have done something. Right? So now he's gone from, oh, my gosh, to holy cow. And then Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to your house today. Uh, no way. You want to hang out with me? Like, I'm just trying to put this into context in some way, shape, or form, and I don't think we can even begin to understand. Because, like, if there was somebody famous, like, on the parade route with the Chiefs or the Royals, and they all of a sudden were like, hey, Brian Grout, I'm going to go hang out at your house today, we're going to party and celebrate the World Series or the Super Bowl, I'd be like, but we're talking about the Savior of the world, Jesus getting ready to go to the cross, runs into Zacchaeus, calls him by name, and says, I'm going to your house. I'm going to meet you where you're at. Not only that, I'm going to go to where you live. And that's exactly what he wants to do in our lives. Not only does he know you by name, 
not only does he want to spend time with you, but he wants to go to where you live to change everything about that. And that's where I want to really dig in and unpack because he is a personal, loving God. He knew us in the womb before we were born. He knows our name. He knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows our sin, our struggles, our passions, our flaws. There is both intentionality and urgency in Jesus' command. And there's this whole idea. Listen to what he says again. I must stay at your house. Did you know that this, this word, if we were to dig in and understand it, it actually means this divine necessity or a divine appointment? Oftentimes, I talk about it this way. There are times in your life where I believe God ordains divine moments for you to have an interaction with somebody who needs to hear the truth of the love of Jesus in their life. And you can either step up and share that divine moment, or you can walk away and say, I'm not going to do it. When I step up and share, I'm taking part in the ministry of Jesus. When I walk away and I don't do it, I'm being the crowd. I'm blocking the person who is longing to see Jesus and I say, it's just not that, of important, that important of a deal. You're not that important of a person. And so it's important for us to understand exactly what Luke is trying to proclaim here. And then here's what's crazy. He says, I must stay. It's a divine appointment. Keep in mind, Jesus is on the road to his death on the cross for our sins and his eventual resurrection. But at the same time, he doesn't lose sight that on the path, he's going to run into people who need him. And so, it would have been the first time, listen, any righteous clean, noble, or respected person had come most likely into Zacchaeus' house. And here's the Lord, like that father that we looked at a little bit last week in Luke chapter 15, like that father of the prodigal son running to him, kissing and hugging all over him, throwing a party to reconcile him back to himself. Now contrast that with verse 7. Jesus longs to and runs after the sinners. And then look what happens in verse seven. All the people saw this and began to what? Hmm. Mutter. Are we guilty of muttering at times? Are we guilty of looking at somebody and saying, ah, they're too far gone? They don't deserve the love that Jesus gives. They don't need his salvation. They don't they, don't, they, they haven't done anything to earn it. Well, that's the good news because neither of you. You and I cannot do anything to earn God's grace. And yet the crowd mutters. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. When Jesus meets you where you're at, you are going to mutter or some are going to mutter and talk about who you are, what you've done, what your past looked like, what you used to be, but there is no greater picture of redemption and repentance than what we see here. It says in verse seven, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He began to see, or he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and listen what happens. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, to the Lord. Listen to what he says. Look, Lord. It's the idea that he's proclaiming him as master or Messiah. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back 
four times the amount. When I say in, in number three, we talked about this is our main point. We said, number one, that Jesus divinely meets Zacchaeus where he's at, and he wants to divinely meet us where we're at. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name and met with him. Jesus calls you by name and wants to meet with you. And then number three is that, that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. It's important for us to understand what happens here. In chapter 19, verses 8 through 10, we now see a deeper unpacking of, in reality, what just took place in Luke chapter 18. Anybody know what happened in Luke chapter 18? There's this man called the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler shows up to Jesus and it says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? There's got to be something I must do. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. And you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And listen to what the rich young ruler says. I've kept all those since I was a kid. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And what happens with the rich young ruler? He walked away, right? He walked away. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. What was Zacchaeus? Wealthy. What was Zacchaeus? A tax collector. Just like the rich young ruler, he was an outcast. Just like the rich young ruler, he was wealthy. But there's a different response from Zacchaeus versus the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler walked away, right? You still lack one thing, he said. Give everything you have to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And when he said this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Those who heard this then said, or asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, what is impossible with men is possible with God. Now we get to Zacchaeus, right? He's wealthy. He's influential. He's a person who's outcast. He's in need of a savior. And Zacchaeus responds in a completely opposite fashion than the rich young ruler did, right? Listen to what happens in his response. Jesus, in some way, shape, or form, during this meeting with Zacchaeus, most likely talked to him about forgiveness and repentance, about the kingdom. And he embraced it by the power of God. He embraces the kingdom of God. So Zacchaeus rises, he takes his stand, and he confesses Jesus as Lord. That's what he does. Look, Lord. I confess you as the master or the Messiah. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and have saved. This is why we're saved. Because God is a seeker and savior of those who are lost. So you've got a man who is defined by selfishness, now acting in an absolutely unselfish way. And here's what happens. This is what he says. Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Do you notice the parallel? The rich young ruler walks away and says, I can't do that. What did Zacchaeus say? I will do it. It's an immediate change. 
there's this immediate change within his heart because he understands who he is, what he's done, and at the same time, he understands the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ right here and right now. Notice this parallel that the story of the rich young ruler walks away sad, whereas, listen, Zacchaeus, it says, welcomed him in gladly, and then Zacchaeus, as a result of a change of heart, literally says, I'm going to give back what I have taken or cheated anybody out of. Matter of fact, if you were to if we were to look at that a little bit more, you could go and look at Leviticus and Numbers as well as Exodus. Exodus chapter 22, starting at verse 1, and you would begin to see that this is exactly what the Lord requires of people when they do cheat people out of things. Like if you're a believer and you have cheated somebody out of financial gain or wealth, you've robbed somebody because of positions and circumstances you put in, the Bible literally lays some things out that you should do. And so he gives, he says, I will give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Which ironically is exactly what Exodus 22 and Leviticus 5 and 6 talk about. And so what Zacchaeus is showing is a heart of repentance and brokenness. And here's what I love about this. Today is what Jesus says, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. It's important for us to understand what he's talking about there. In Romans chapter two, verses 28 and 29, it says this, a person is not a Jew who is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely an outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one Inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. So here's what he's saying when he says that this guy is a son of Abraham. He's saying that this guy has put his faith and trust in Jesus. He is not a Jew necessarily based upon outward appearance, but he is a Jew based upon inwardly what he's done. He's put his faith and trust in Jesus. Romans 9, chapter 6 says, not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. It's important for us to understand. And so when Jesus lays this out, he says, hey, today salvation has come to the house of Zacchaeus. Why? Because of the radical change within this man's heart almost immediately when he's confronted with the truth of his sin, the reality of Jesus' forgiveness, and exactly what he's called him to do. And it's important for us to understand because verse 10 is the very thing that we have to be focused on as well because this is exactly what Jesus is about. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. I think about it this way. I'll go back to the parade, right? Any of those parades, if I would have lost my child, what would I have done? I would have gone to the ends of the earth to find him. I would have spent all I had. I would have given my own life. And I would still say that to this day, if any of my child ever disappeared, one of my, one of my children ever disappeared, I would literally, and I would venture to say every parent would do this. I would lay down my life so that they could live. And here's the reality of what Jesus reveals to us. Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. In other words, I came to lay down my life to save you 
from the death and destruction of what sin brings about in your life. I came to make the payment. I came to redeem you from a life that that leads you into bondage and slavery. I came to offer you life and life more abundantly. And so listen, that it would be revealed that this sinner exceeded the law by his generosity, that Jesus would declare him not just him, but his whole household saved. Zacchaeus is one of the most important examples or one of the more great examples of the impossible becoming possible with God. Keep in mind, verse 27 in Luke chapter 18, what Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And so here's what I want to challenge us today. Maybe you're a believer and you would say, man, I don't know. Sometimes I am the crowd. And I would venture to say in some way, shape, or form, all of us have been a part of being the crowd. All of us have been a part where maybe it's a bad day. We've had some bad interaction with people and we're the crowd and we're blocking somebody from seeing who Jesus is. But I also venture to say this, that all of us have been Zacchaeus at some point and that we're looking and longing to see Jesus. And Jesus is calling. My question is, are you dropping out of the tree? Are you welcoming him gladly? Listen to what it says in verse six. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. It carries this idea of rejoicing over having a relationship with Jesus, that there's great joy. I wish, I wish, as a matter of fact, you can go on our Facebook page. I probably should have put that up there. I want you to see the picture or the face of Judson when he come up out of the water. Because the joy on his face and the excitement and the look, and please hear me out on this. Judson, in my opinion, expressed the faith of a child and asked questions, and I said it in the video, that most adults won't even ask. Why? Because he's wrestling with his sinfulness and the goodness and grace of Jesus. And he knows exactly what it is when he put his faith in Jesus, that Jesus died on the cross for his sins. He knows what it is to have the joy of a Savior pay the price that he couldn't pay. And that's exactly what he does for you and me. See, I hope Zacchaeus becomes something more than just the song. And I'm not, I'm not knocking the song. Please hear me out on that. I think it's a great truth. But I hope it becomes more than just a song. Because what it should show us is the pursuit that God has over each and every person he calls by name, that he knows, that he loves, that he died for, And listen, that he'll meet you where you're at, on the way still to his divine appointment of establishing. He's already established his kingdom, but establishing it again when he says when he'll come back. Jesus is on a path right now. At some point, he will come back. But that doesn't mean he gives up his divine appointments of meeting you where you're at. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the great news of Jesus and his pursuit to seek and save the lost. And my question as a church is just this. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to be on board with the ministry that Jesus has to seek and save those who are lost and to go after those who might be outcast or rejected or neglected by the rest of the world? 
Today, maybe you're a person who would say, hey, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus for the first time. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have the band come up. They're going to get ready. We're going to close with this song. And I want you to think about this song as you think about the words that we would build our lives upon Jesus. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. He will come back at some point. The sun and moon and stars will cease to exist. Why? Because God is light in him. There's no darkness. And that same God is the very God who sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. And so maybe, just maybe, you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus, acknowledging you're a sinner. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you would be saved. But I also say this as a church. It's our responsibility to be people who pursue relationships with lost people. Why? Because that's what Jesus is about, seeking and saving the lost. And so we pursue relationships with, relationships with them to present the gospel to them. And that's our heart. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the picture of baptism and what Judson did so boldly to proclaim his faith in you, to follow obediently what you have called us to do, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that you have commanded. Lord, would you use us as a church to be a light in the darkness? It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.